Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. just watch well you suggested that we watch air force one the 1997 harrison ford thriller where he is the president of the united states of america You're choking up just talking about it <laughs> yeah i didn't think you were gonna let me get away with saying it was your idea to watch this movie uh he's the president of the united states of america he's on a trip on his plane air force one <laughs> and he gets taken over by terrorists 
and it's up to one Harrison Ford, who also happens to be a Medal of Honor winner, to save the day with his action heroics. It's by the same director, uh, one Wolfgang Peterson, who also directed a, a, sh- a movie that we previously talked about on Mystery to Me called In the Line of Fire, which came out a few years earlier, starred Clint Eastwood as a Secret Service agent. And what's interesting about that is that uh, the Secret Service comes out in a very different light in this movie. <laughs> he, he's like the guy directed one one movie and was like, yeah, we really we really gave them too much of a blow job. We really need to stick to those Secret Service guys here. Because in the in the one that in in the line of fire, the Secret Service doesn't by any means seem perfect, but uh, apparently people who are familiar with the Secret Service found it to be a for an action movie, you know, perhaps relatively realistic portrayal of some of the concerns that they deal with. Whereas this took a different tack let's just say that (laughs) well i know some of our presidents like uh donald trump and bill clinton's appear to have been fans of this film yeah because yeah of course they fucking were of course they were how embarrassing that they would say that yeah i could see myself doing (laughs) bill clinton hitting people with his saxophone (laughs) it's so dumb it this is i I thought I thought this was going to be a slightly better movie, and then I think about the premise, and I don't know why I thought that. I actually, I'm old enough, unfortunately. <laughs> I saw this movie in the theaters when it was released. Yeah. And I remember thinking at the time it was a really dumb premise, but that it was better than the premise. And it's it's not. It's not, it's not at all. This movie, for one thing, it's a very bizarre period piece oh my god is it there was a period in the mid 90s i think in that short window after clinton won re-election and before the monica Lewinsky scandal happened that people really had absurdly romantic ideas about the presidency there's also uh an aaron sorkin film called the american president that i believe came out during that oh, period jesus that's sick well you just have a president come out and give really good speeches and yay everything's better the big and, strong and, man will fix it all for us right and in this one this also takes place during a time when the thinking was that uh we in russia could be best friends Mm-hmm. And fix all the world's problems. Yeah, together. we'll team up. We're the we're the senior person there. That they're our junior partner. We're teaching them how to be good capitalists. And it, it's like uh, a version of twentieth century history that makes our relations with uh, Russia seem like some sort of pop buddy picture. We'll be Napoleon Solo, and uh, they'll be Ilya Kiryakin. I mean, I, I would watch our, we, that. We had our differences at first, but we worked things out, and now everything's going to be just fine. Ilya's a little bit standoffish, you know, and a bit snarky, but he and Napoleon get along. They can hang out. They're best friends. And so it starts out with the president uh, is at some event in Moscow. and without, Very dated, given what's going on in the world right now with Russia and Ukraine. And w- without even talking to his advisors about it. He impulsively declares, from now on, the United States is going to be the world's policeman. And if any government acts in an unethical way, we're going to take them out. Yeah, nothing can go wrong with that strategy, right? Right? Nothing at all. 
cut to 2003. <laughs> and then then it's 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 like uh his, his advice say, you know Mr. President I'm not really sure if that's a good idea. He says, well, maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's not, but it's policy now. So it's like the, yeah, strong man fantasy. Strong man fantasy. And that I mean that you can see why the pres you know people who became presidents themselves like that because it's like that guy has a heart of gold, but he's a bit of a loose cannon cop of the world. And he's going to just, you know, in a loose cannon cop movie, the loose cannon cop's going to do the right thing, whether or not it's by the book. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I just, a lot of this stuff isn't as fun anymore given the the turn our history took in the early 2000s. <laughs> so for me, having been never in a world where you know i mean i barely remember pre-9-11 so none of it's not it's it's just like wow what was everybody smoking back then so you didn't see this movie in the theater (sighs) no i did not and i not a harrison ford fan i i am i mean i remember (laughs) probably one of my first celebrity crushes actually with indiana jones and stuff you know like a hot smart like history President. professor no but i this, you were fanning yourself during this, this picture this is different this isn't i this is not the harrison ford that my uh childhood self thought was cute this is this is like a this is this this character is ridiculous this guy he's such a you know he's a he's a former you know medal of honor he's he's a tough guy but he's a smart guy I mean, he's just everything <laughs> he loves his wife he's a great father yeah, I mean, I don't even have such a huge problem with the character because, I mean, like, obviously it's kind of a pulpy thing. He's, he's a male fantasy figure, you know? But I, to me, the stuff that dates this is more of, like, this movie, this movie, uh, this movie adores Harrison Ford. This movie really wants us to be so proud that he is our president. And I guess... There's I, lots of stirring patriotic yeah, music. Yeah, just, that doesn't move me. Critical moments in the movie where things go well. There are cuts to crowds of people clapping and, and like cheering. and like and like and like the music da like just like kind of like being really proud. I just I don't know. Maybe I'm really cynical. I just I don't find that stuff particularly stirring. And to me, honestly, like I just kept thinking, like I don't know, like plane takeover, hostages being executed hits differently now in the 21st century than I think it did back then. Back then, you could be like, oh, we're having fun. And nowadays, it's like, oh, <laughs> yikes. So you wouldn't think a movie, you're saying a movie like this could not be made today? I, I mean, maybe. But I think nowadays, uh, for whatever criticism... Talk, talk, talk me through this. How would Amtrak one with oh, Joe Biden God, be different? Jesus Christ. Don't even joke about that. I think I mentioned when we were watching this. It would end in two minutes because uh, Biden's feral dogs would just bite everyone's throats out. <laughs> Before they even before the terrorists even reveal themselves, they'd be being attacked. <laughs> I just I just think that um you know post nine post nine eleven you know the, a lot of the, a lot of films that were about action sort of in, embraced more of a gritty aesthetic, a gritty aesthetic where it was like more somber and sour and and I don't necessarily love that, but I understand why because we so all- less Moonraker, more Casino Royale. Yeah, and. Yeah, exactly, and and so I mean I think that was po- I think that was possibly because we'd all seen this horrific act of terrorism happen on TV, and there was no going back. There was no like, oh, let's blow up all these buildings and uh, this is fun. It's like like it kind of just stops being. It just changes the culture. There's a cultural shift, so I don't think, I don't think they could have made such a soaring triumphant movie. 
you know, in the 21st century. But 1997, sure, they're they're flying high. They're high on their own supply of uh, 90s optimism. Parts of it are fun, but it, it is hard to... I mean, this movie's so dated that uh, a fax machine becomes a critical plot point, <laughs> which was kind of amusing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure audiences love this in 97, though. I remember thinking it was a lot better than I expected. And today, when we watched it, I felt it was much worse than I remembered. What do you think the change in you has been? I think recognizing it as a 90s period piece. uh, The amount of uh, love the film lavishes on Harrison Ford really does not age well. No. Uh, the CGI is oh god is really problematic. I think the film would have been I, like anybody's grandfather with his with his little computer could probably do today a better CGI job. And by say grandfather, even somebody doesn't even understand the technology in twenty twenty two. I feel like. I feel like the movie, in terms of characterization, in terms of how it plays things, I think the I think the premise of Air Force One is taken over by terrorists is a very ridiculous one, but it's it's not a bad one because it's kind of like okay, yeah, this shit is important, and if the president has to do something, that's going to be interesting to follow. But I think they really could have done a, away with a lot of the kind of like lavishing praise on Harrison Ford before we even see him do cool things because like. If they if they made it more of like a oh he's kind of a sedate president he's kind of doing all this stuff and then like later on he's doing all this stuff and then they're like actually nobody knows like he didn't make a big deal of this in the campaign but he was like fucking killing people you know and that's why he won the medal of that that would have been a little more I don't know interesting and it would have felt more earned than when when he's kicking ass because otherwise you know in the beginning you're like okay you know everybody thinks this guy's incredible and then he basically just you know, meets everybody's expectations. Yeah. <laughs> it takes some of the tension out of it, I feel. I agree. And I, I think another thing that changed me was I've seen better stuff since. I think this sort of pulp action stuff was taken to a new level, even by shows like 24. And the Jack Bauer character is more interesting and less perfect than the Harrison Ford character. Yeah, and it's like, if you're going to have a triumphant ending anyway, I mean, he doesn't have to be perfect. He could, he doesn't even have to be a bad guy in the beginning. He could just be kind of like, you know, kind of one of those kind of nerdy type presidents, right? Where everyone's like, yeah, he's doing a good job, but like, he's not cool. In this movie, it tries very hard to make him cool from the beginning. And also, it doesn't really feel at the end like any of our main protagonists would be really changed by this. No, no. They, they have these awful experiences. They end, hey, everybody, let's smile and be happy. Good job, Dad, says the first daughter. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, you don't feel like, okay, now that, that happened. So a dark new day for the United States, given that the president's not even safe in his fancy plane. But it's more of like America was justified in its decision to become the world police. A bald eagle flies overhead, a single tear falling from its eye. Yeah. 
I, I think you're right with 24. 24 has a similar, in some ways, kind of like, America's doing its fucking best. But it's like, it's a little bit more understated. It's still ridiculous, but it's more understated. And there's, and there's always a cost. And there's an, improv- <laughs> there's an improvisational quality to the show, at least in the early seasons, that makes me kind of like it. Because it's like, you never know. They're just going to, you know, throw darts until they hit, like, an option of what to do next. And it just keeps, keeps things ridiculous. In this one, it felt like they ran out of story before they ran out of running time. Uh, and so they kept on adding stuff like, oh, uh, now there's missiles being fired at the plane. Uh, oh, remember that guy who was bad earlier? Uh, he's still bad. I don't know why they revealed that the Secret Service guy was bad. Okay, oh, speaking of 24, played by 24's George Mason, <laughs> does not have much luck with planes. Uh, he he's He's the Secret Service guy. I guess he's been bribed by the bad terrorist guys to help them take over the plane. That seems to be the implication. I don't even know how they would have made that reach out to him. Just email him. Get his get his Gmail. Fax him. <laughs> Fax him. Yeah, I wonder how that conversation went. Or is it, impl- they made it, that Gary Oldman is the bad guy, the main bad guy terrorist, and he was making all, you know, the capitalist dog. So I guess he's supposed to be some sort of really hardline communist. So did somehow some sort of communist guy slip through like the Secret Service training? And then uh, everybody that knows that George Mason is a bad guy has been killed. So basically he's gotten away with it. He can continue to have his his relatively high place in government where he has access to the most powerful people in the country. So even if he is affiliated with a terrorist group, he can still serve as a valuable inside man for that group. Mm-hmm. But he throws it away by then acting bad in front of the president. Yeah. Yeah, that was a dumb move. And killing one William H. Macy. Yeah, he was a likable character. Macy's just a little, like, I don't know, military guy who's running around. He's helping. He's helpful. He's an optimistic guy. That bizarre subplot, though, where he pulled some strings to get his daughter into a college. <laughs> I thought that was out of place. <laughs> Bullets are flying. People are being taken hostage. He's just on the phone with some recruiter from... <laughs> From California. That kind of slowed momentum for me. <laughs> I don't even, yeah. You gotta, you gotta wonder, you know, you gotta wonder though. I feel like the most of the interest as an action movie for me was in. The action? Well, no, I mean was in the like hostages have been taken on Air Force One and it's a close combat and the president is having to like make do with whatever he can find to uh, turn the tide. And then once it becomes like a Air Force movie where you know, up oh, the, the the now the bad guys have sent their planes out. It's like okay, you know, like like, like why don't we just stick with what was kind of working? I, I think the I think the close action stuff was kind of working, bringing in like oh we gotta evade missiles. That just sort of felt like we're we we've lost the plot. And that at that point I really lost interest and I felt like it was just padding out the runtime to me. And as you, I mean, having a Secret Service guy be bad, that's fine to have a mole, but I, I'd love for it to be a little bit more complicated or interesting or surprising. I, I like it when there's a problem in a movie, even if the solution is not realistic. I like to see a solution that happens by playing by the rules of the movie. And in this one, 
it's like the bad guys have to give their fingerprints to be allowed on the plane. And how did that work? How yeah. do we just say, oh, uh, the Secret Service guy did it? Uh, they have to go through a, a metal detector. So how do they go through the metal detector and have their camera? They're posing as reporters. So how do they go through there and have their camera equipment inspected and somehow sneak guns aboard? They didn't sneak guns aboard. Oh, that's what, the guns were on board. So did the Secret Service guy just arrange? So what happened was the Secret Service guy kicked things off by walking up and shooting all the other Secret Service guys sitting there guarding the weapons. And then... He threw a smoke bomb out, which was the signal for the terrorists ah. to come in. So they actually did explain that part. But I agree that the fingerprints thing, it turns out they killed the real Russian news crew to get on there. So I guess that's pretty clever. But, but how did they then? Maybe take- then don't have them being fingerprinted. Maybe just have them being like, oh, here's our IDs. Oh, good to go. Uh, or, or I don't know. Or maybe have them have, have killed them a while ago. So they've had time to like, be you know, enter this cover story. And I, I don't know. It's, uh, I like it. I also would have liked it if the, if the, I don't know if the secret, the guy who's the mole should have some sort of reason. If that's money, then fine, but maybe, I don't know, spell it out a little bit more. Does he believe in the cause? Did he vote for the other party? I mean, like, what is, yeah, does he believe in the cause? Did, did, you know, is he, is he part of something bigger? Just, seems like it's a lot to throw away on a pretty risky operation where you could easily get killed yourself or outed as a traitor to the nation. So I want to know why George Mason's doing it all for me to buy that ah, I'm just a bad guy. Yeah, it was confusing. <laughs> it would have been more realistic or more like interesting if like George Mason had been kind of a grump the whole time and William H. Macy had been like a kind of a cheerful guy. And then it turned out Macy was actually the mole because, like, he's like, you know, like, like I don't know, just like do something a little bit different. Because we see George Mason kill the other Secret Service agents, so it's kind of takes some of the, like, kind of takes some of the question out of like who was behind this. Yeah, so it's not just a case where they pay him off to look the other way. He kills his buddies. He kills his colleagues. You got to imagine. You got to imagine that the fucking Treasury Secretary is just praying to God that the plane down if he has any inkling that like George Mason was a problem yeah because like that I don't know I mean yes I I would I mean this would probably start a huge uh overhaul at the Secret Service if it turned can you imagine if it turned out like an FBI agent was trying to kill the president like I mean they they would be I mean they they would be fucking gutting the whole place I I imagine the same would happen here they don't want to get into that it's too complicated uh, another thing I thought didn't age well was the uh, the stock funny 1980s uh, one-liners. Like he's about to throw one terrorist off the plane. Says, Gary Oldman. Get, get off my plane. And then the guy uh, gets off the plane and gets killed. I kind of like that. You like those those one-liners? They're really, they're not good writing. They're cheesy as hell, but they're kind of funny. Those trailer moments. At least it's not the modern day quippy bullshit. I can't believe that just happened. You know, like that kind of Marvel speak. I'll take this over that. But this was so, I mean, this was so in love with Harrison Ford, this movie. It was embarrassing to watch. Would you have voted for Harrison Ford? As whatever his name is, James Marshall? If he was going around advocating for this really interventionist uh, foreign policy, 
that just seems uh, to lead to disaster. It did in real life. This kind of bullshit. And they're literally they have they're they have the, they're bringing up Iraq. That's the crazy thing. Like Saddam Hussein's on the move, and it's like don't d- stop. <laughs> and there's also little plot moments like uh, the Secretary of Defense says, "Okay, the president is being held hostage." Obviously, that compromises his ability to make decisions properly, which is true because at one point when he's being held hostage, he says, I'll, you know, that terrorist, eh, let's just let him go. Because he doesn't want him to shoot his daughter. And so he says, well, what we should do then is invoke the 25th Amendment and remove him from the chain of command temporarily, which seems, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. And he presents this to the vice president, and she refuses to sign because she has such faith in the president. And that's just, that's just silly. She's a William and Mary gal, Glenn Close. She's loyal. I don't understand why the defense secretary didn't just beam over to help Harrison Ford as a hologram. See, the, <laughs> see, the William H. Macy joke worked because we, we said it was William H. Macy. We didn't say, oh, you know who played the defense secretary? It was Dean Stockwell. But it works because it's like a twist. People be like, why is she saying that about the defense secretary? And then you, I don't, I don't know the guy's name. I just know he's that guy from Quantum Leap. Dean Stockwell, TV's Al. <laughs> the boy with green hair. Nick and Nora's son. You loved him in Compulsion. Oh, but he was a little bit menacing on Battlestar Galactica, wasn't he? <laughs> what a rich and storied career had by one Dean Stockwell. He got to do everything. <sighs> yeah. I love the I love the attorney general in this movie. He's just he just kinda slinks in and then he's like sitting in the corner with his teacup. That would be me. <laughs> I think we should get rid of the president. See, in real life, the attorney general, you know, the lawyer. He'd be oh, the action Jesus hero. Jesus Christ. This again? <laughs> He'd be filing briefs at critical moments. <laughs> Do be, some shocking research twists. He'd be trying to get uh, sick men to sign things in their hospital bed. <laughs> the real heroes are the journalists. I mean, I, were there any actual journalists on this plane, or were they just people pretending to be journalists? I think they were just pretending. I think that was it. Because you, you know, if the real the journalists, the real journalists had been there, they would have put a stop to the whole thing. They would have been asking those terrorists some incisive questions that would have blown their minds so much they couldn't go on. <laughs> I think the real journalists. Uh, it, there was a big dramatic rescue operation in oh. midair at the end. And it's and the audio from this rescue mission is beamed live to the press room, so the 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 people of the press, the fourth estate themselves, might have the opportunity to hear the president die live. Very very much an oh the humanity moment for everybody. And then when it's it's successful, everybody in the press, whenever anything's successful in this movie. There's a crowd erupting into cheers. Yes. Now, would it be is it appropriate for the press to erupt in cheers? They're supposed to be neutral reporters. Yeah, I, I, 
I I question the logic of all of that. And yeah, you're supposed. To, I wouldn't think you. Sh- I wouldn't think cheering in the press office was appropriate. I wouldn't think it was appropriate for the government to be letting them listen to that because, I mean, as much as I'm all about open information and stuff, uh, it's a current it's a current operation. Uh, that is going on right and now. Not only could the president die, but you could also hear live the deaths of his potential rescuers. You might be revealing uh, operational details about the planes themselves. I don't see how it serves anybody to have that be playing live. You could, I, I don't know. I just think that whole thing that was insane. And if there was like a group of reporters in like the Twitter press room, as Twitter is doing a dramatic poison pill operation to stop Elon Musk and it succeeds and the reporters cheer, that'd just be unprofessional. I would think it would. Yeah. You're not, I mean, I know like with sports reporters, you're not supposed to be cheering at games that you're covering. You know, it's just, it, you have to have a bit of, uh, you have to have a bit of professionalism. And you told me that all political reporters secretly want the president to be killed anyway. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Not as much as all lawyers. They want to be the president themselves. They're all that arrogant. I'll give this to They know their place. They know they can never rise that high. Oh, my God. They're not power-hungry warmongers. One journalist who rose to the White House (laughs) was uh, Warren G. Harding. How did that go? Colorful How did that go? I think everybody had a pretty good time. (laughs) How did that go? We got a fun scandal name out of it, the Teapot Dome Scandal. I've tried to read about that many times, and I cannot cannot tell you how many times I've looked at that Wikipedia page, and it, it's never gone in. It's never. I've never committed any aspect of that to memory. I don't know what it was. I know it was bad. But, I mean, I'm sure he's much better than a lot of the lawyers who've been president. Well, you know, the, the, the lawyer... You're James Madison's? Abraham Lincoln. Thank you very much. Whatever. I, I, I'm <laughs> dropping the mic. <laughs> and now be honest. Warren G. Harding runs for president against Abraham Lincoln. Do you vote for the, do you vote for the journalist? I'm wondering. Or do you vote for the attorney? I think Warren G. Harding did other things other than journalism. He didn't go from newspaper editor to... He was a fine newspaper man over there in Marion, Ohio. Everybody knows that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Married to a woman he called the Duchess. (laughs) So you call me. That's what you asked me to call you. (laughs) Hey, you know who else was a lawyer? You want to guess? Well, I think Lincoln... Rhymes with blames blue cannon. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. 
Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I think we can all agree that... The people you don't want to be uh, president is uh, academics, though, after a good old Woodrow Wilson's performance. All of these guys were fucking lawyers. It's crazy. Well, I mean, it's a path that uh, grooms you for success in later life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Jesus. You're so fucking smug. Uh, being a journalist uh, grooms you for the possibility of a career later on in public relations. Oh, go fuck yourself! Also, awful, awful death of the fucking deputy press secretary in this. That was that oddly enough was the only sequence I remembered from this movie before we watched Very... it. Very, it was it was upsetting. She begs for her life. Harrison Ford has a chance to to save her. It goes, yeah. I got another press secretary at home. Reporters are a dime a dozen. She's not a reporter. She's a flack. Don't most press secretaries have some sort of uh, experience working? I mean, I guess. I mean, that's the that's the stereotype. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think it depends. You could come from a lobbying background. You could come from just some sort of, uh, you know, news commentary that's not really journalism per se. That's, communications communications is a wide sphere that w- that was the, the the sequence that disturbed me enough that it stuck in my head yeah it was disturbing it was disturbing so i mean i guess if it's making us feel things that's effectively done but sort of feels like to what end <laughs> it seemed a little unusually mean-spirited it also seemed like it was somehow getting back to her at her because she was the one that brought them onto the plane yeah and it's meanwhile it's like Whoever's running security for this is really to blame, but yeah. and also the Secret Service guy. I I just felt like I felt yeah it's it had a mean streak to it, and it the mean streak like they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to have this kind of mean streak grittiness of people getting killed left and right, but they also wanted us to stand up and fucking applaud. And I think that kind of movie is a hard sell yeah. at this point in time in the nineties. I think you could maybe compartmentalize enough where you're like, yeah, it worked out for him. Only a few people died. Dozens of people died, whatever. But nowadays it's kind of like you you would be thinking, you're thinking, okay, if this happened in real life, this would be a disaster for, this would be a disaster. It would be a disaster. All, like, people's lives would be ruined. People would lose their loved ones. You know, it, it would just be, it, it would be really, I think, damaging to the nation's morale. <laughs> You know, if this happened, even if the president got out of it. And I certainly don't think everybody afterward would be like, yeah, like they, they fought their way out. It would be like, oh, my like it would be like a it would be very disturbing. Yeah. Like, what was it like? 
five or six terrorists. Yeah. And a rogue Secret Service agent were able to take over what purports to be the most highly secure area. Yeah. In the United States and come within uh, a hair of executing the president and his family. Yeah. Yeah, America. <laughs> I don't know. I hate to be such a like a like a Debbie Downer, you know, but I I just I could I couldn't help I couldn't help but like not be not feel like this was eliciting the soaring feeling in me that I think the movie wanted to. And when something's really trying hard to get a reaction from you, I think maybe I'm stubborn and I'm kind of like, well, go away. Yeah. <laughs> when it's being really overt. Come on, be happy, be happy, be happy. Go fuck yourself. I guess there was some effective storytelling in here at points, but it just felt scattershot. The director's a good storyteller. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I definitely, it's, it's not, it's not a dumpster fire. And there's elements of it where I'm like, oh, is Harrison Ford going to, you know, I think my favorite scenes were literally Harrison Ford hiding behind different appliances in the plane while terrorists looked around the corner suspiciously. Because those moments felt like this is a man who is trying to play a, you know, hide and seek basically with a bunch of dangerous armed men on a small, you know, a big plane, but it's, you know, it's still a small space to be working with. And he's doing everything he can to try to retake the plane. Right. So that to me, that's the that's the selling point. That's exciting to watch. But add all the add all the presidential shit and add all the um raw raw America stuff and it's sort of a that rings hollow. I'm looking at uh his filmography, Mr. Peterson. He later did uh what I've been told is an almost unwatchable remake of the Poseidon adventure called Poseidon. I think I've seen that. Or maybe, maybe I might be wrong. Let's compare it to a second from to, to the movie that we previously in the, uh, line of fire? To, in the line of fire. I think the difference between these movies, they have in some ways a similar tone and in some ways kind of a com combination of like white house lore with action movie stuff. I think what gets me, what made me think that In the Line of Fire was superior was that it seemed to be more humble in a way. Clint Eastwood is Clint Eastwood, so you know he's like a badass, like you know Harrison Ford's a badass in the movie. But it he's fallible because everyone's like, yeah, he's good at what he does, but he's kind of a dumb old idiot and he's probably going to have to retire soon. So like you know he's up against something even though he has a good reputation. Whereas from the beginning, President James, you know, President Harrison Ford is just like the fucking king, and like Glenn Close will follow him into any, any battle, and everybody, you know, like you, yes, you have the cabinet trying to, you know, in, in, get get him out of there, but that's only after he starts making decisions under duress. They're wait, they wait that long, so it, it's this that one felt more like uh, the odds were stacked against the guy as he's trying to catch this guy who wants to kill the president and it was more humble it certainly we, we felt like clint eastwood was potentially overwhelmed we saw him like trying to jog along the president's car and getting all out of breath and sweaty he seemed like a man who maybe he's done well in the past but he's maybe in over his head and the movie's focus on 
the Kennedy assassination where the Clint Eastwood character was present really serves as a reminder of like, yes, for all the lore and uh, respect that the Secret Service command and for all that they've done, you know, when they get it wrong, the results are devastating. And that that's like an emotional core of the film. There wasn't any situation. It wasn't like, oh, uh, the president in this one mishandled a hostage crisis in the past and now he's in a hostage crisis you know it it's it's just kind of more like he's the fucking greatest and he'll figure this shit out and i think that's just a little bit less suspenseful for me yeah it takes a lot of the urgency out of it yeah i'm not saying they're like oh fuck what's gonna happen i'm like yeah he's gonna probably overpower that guy and you know just keep on keep on getting the wins and then of course the bad guy's gonna get the upper hand at some point but then he'll get it back because you know i mean and hell, even Indiana Jones, you feel is in over his head sometimes. Oh yeah, there's more of a there's more of a humor with something like that, or more of like a like takes the character a little less seriously, but by doing that, we can kind of be more worried for him. Yeah. Would you have voted for President Harrison Ford? Who's he running against? I don't know. See that I need to have that information. <laughs> Pick a candidate. I know. Fictional candidate. Who's another fictional president you've admired? I, I, if he's running against President Palmer from 24, I'm voting for President Palmer. Yeah, you got to vote for President Palmer. The first president. You're in good hands. The first president. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Kudos to you. (laughs) What's your five star final? Do you feel Air Force One took flight? I would say that while its premise soars, Air Force One hit some turbulence in a pocket of self-satisfied boosterism. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast.